Gospel according to St. Luke, the 21st chapter. When some were speaking about the temple, how it was adorned with beautiful stones and gifts dedicated to God, Jesus said, As for these things you see, the days will come when not one stone will be left upon another. All will be thrown down. They asked him, Teacher, when will this be? And what will be the sign that is about to take place? And he said, Beware that you are not led astray. For many will come in my name and say, I am he, and the time is near. Do not go after them. The Gospel of the Lord. Grace and peace to you from God our Father and our Lord and Savior, Jesus Christ. So one of the best things about the internet, in my opinion, is that no longer do you have to wait and see a movie trailer. For those too young to remember, back in the dark ages, when you wanted to see a movie trailer, what did you have to do? You had to actually go to the movies. But now you don't have to wait to see those or go see something else. If you know a movie's coming out, all you have to do is just pop over to YouTube or like the movie on social media, and boom, there it is, the entire trailer. So for me, this is amazing. Every Star Wars movie, every Avengers movie, and more than a few others, I've streamed the trailer constantly. It is fun to look for all the cues and clues and the little Easter eggs, I guess they're called, and get really psyched for opening day. I hope... Others of you enjoy it as well, or you're too tired to roll with the hips. But here's my uh, big question for you today. How many times have you seen a movie and then gone back and watched the trailer? Oh, you've done it, right? Sometimes trying to, sometimes was the trailer better than the movie? <laughs> that happens. Yeah. I watched uh, the trailer for Avengers Endgame probably about 20 times. But guess what? I have not watched it once since I saw the whole movie. And by the whole movie, I mean all of it. Three Three hours, yeah. I've also watched the trailer for The Rise of Skywalker about about the same. I'm probably on viewing number 20 or 30 for that. But again, I guarantee you that once I see the movie, I will not be visiting that YouTube page again. The trailer or the preview is there to get us excited for the movie. But once you see the movie, the trailer is not so exciting anymore. Once you view something, previewing it is much less appealing. And here, before movies even came out, is the point that the author of the book of Hebrews is constantly making. If you are still laboring under that old covenant, if you are still rooting your spirituality under that old system, if you're still putting your trust in all the old symbols, or especially if you think you can see the full glory of God in the working out of the law, then you are missing out. Something has happened in Jesus Christ which has blown apart all the old understandings. Something beautiful, something powerful, and most of all, something final. 
that everything that came in scriptures before was only pointing at. The way to the sanctuary, which was hidden before, has been opened up so that Christ could come as probably my favorite and most underused title for Jesus, the high priest of the good things. I think I'm going to, next time I have to write down my religion, I'm going to write, I follow the high priest of the good things. And this passage, like the entire letter, is written with urgency and with joy. Jesus has come. The movie's out. You don't have to watch the trailer anymore. The earthly tent, as impressive as it was, has been replaced with a new one, built not by human hands, but by something literally outside of this world. And did you notice that the Holy Spirit gets to make a couple of cameo appearances here? So when, when someone comes, knocks on your door and tells you that uh, the Bible never talks about the Trinity, feel free to pull out Hebrews 9. But before we go on, I want to urge a little bit of caution here. The author is saying that the Old Covenant was the preview, not that it has been replaced or invalidated. An enormously sad legacy follows some assumptions made throughout the history of the church. These assumptions falsely claim that since Jesus is the one all of the stuff in the Old Testament is driving at, Judaism as a religion has been somehow replaced. And passages like this are used to prove it. But if you read this closely, you'll see that this is not the case. Let me get into a little bit of Bible study with you. Hebrews is not talking here about the temple, but about the tabernacle. The tabernacle is not from the Israelite now. It's from the Israelite past. Anyone know where in the Bible you go to read about the tabernacle? In the wilderness, right? So it's there in the book of Exodus. If anyone is really into architecture or interior design, uh, the last part of Exodus would be interesting for you. It is not for me. But that is, the, the, uh, that is what's being talked about here. It's a place where God was housed after the Israelites were out of Egypt and wandering through the wilderness. Right? It's a symbol, or as the Greek actually has it, the tabernacle is a parable for the reality of the Old Covenant, which is, every time I say covenant, by the way, I mean the agreement, the promise between God and between the people. So if you make this about the temple and the current worship that the Israelites are doing, you miss the point. This parable has everything to do with the tabernacle and what was kept in the tabernacle. It was in a secret room behind a curtain and a room where only one person, the high priest, could enter a year. And if you are a fan of Indiana Jones, this is your time to shine. What was kept in that room? The Ark of the Covenant, right? Literally, the law and God were kept in a room behind a curtain, 
Oh, I'm being way too loud. (laughs) And the, 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 the law and God were kept behind a curtain, sealed behind closed doors, kept away from mere mortals. And by the way, if you went in there even just to take a peek and you weren't the high priest, it was the death penalty. And when the high priest went in there, he didn't get to go there and just hang out. The high priest got to go in there exactly one day a year. And the high priest's job was to go in and appease, sacrificing the blood of bulls and goats as an apology for people's sins. And by the way, the bull was for the sins of his family. So if the high priest's family sinned, they had to pay more. And for the people, it was... Uh, a goat. This, by the way, is where we get our language of scapegoating. Now, the law worked in this way. It told you that, there, that you are not God, and it showed you the places where God's presence must be respected, right? Do not go into this room, and then you show your reverence for God by treating your neighbors under the law, right? The law gives us God in God's proper place, and whether it's the fires atop of Mount Sinai or the hidden room in a tabernacle, what the law does is it puts God into a hidden place away from us. The point being, because we know where God's place is, then we know where our place is too. This is about power. And so, what you're doing when you live in the previews is not merely to miss the point of Jesus or to uh, cling to an old way of worship. It's more than just laboring under false ideas about God. It means living in a way that you expect God to be far from the places you live, and expecting God to be somebody that you cannot approach. Sometimes living in the previews means expecting God to show up only in your own way or on your terms based on the sacrifices that you make. I hope none of you are sacrificing bulls or goats. There are plenty of other things that we think we have to sacrifice, don't we? Right? The Old Covenant is not about what's in our heads. It's about what's in our hearts. It's about distance, right? I think there was a song, I forget who sang it, From a Distance. That is a song about the previews that I can't even imagine, right? From a distance, God is watching us. That is terrifying to me because what this leads to is that we think that life is just a show that we put on for God. I hear this from people on their deathbeds all the time. They say, I don't really worry about all that religion stuff. I just try to be a good person, right? So many of our neighbors are laboring under this old covenant where God is locked up behind some room, and then they just have to make the right sacrifices. But but here's the thing. Here's the problem with the old system. Here's the flaw in the old covenant. It's not that God wasn't there. The flaw is in what God was able to do. See, all those sacrifices, 
all those acts of worship, all that obedience, all those works, good as they were, could not do one thing. They could not, verse 9, if you want to read, they could not perfect the conscience. You had to keep doing it. You had to, have you ever been in a relationship with someone where you always had to keep them happy? And the bar was, Marissa's not here, and the bar was always going up, right? What's it like to live in that kind of a situation, right? What's it like to live in a relationship where there's not forgiveness, where there's not life, and where there's not peace, right? It's the treadmill that I think we're on. I'm certainly on it during the week. I think a lot of our neighbors are on it, right? You focus on making the outside so clean, right? You show up on time to work. You do what you need to do. You make people happy. You go to the gym. You eat the right foods. You have the right politics, right? We work on making sure that our outsides are so clean, but what is happening to our insides, right? They're rotting away. We're miserable. We're sad. We're angry. We're fearful. And God, when God is locked in a hidden room away from us, God can't do anything about it. Right? The agreement's still good. We're still worshiping. We're still doing our sacrifices. But God's away from us and can't be with us. But there is more to the story. Like movie trailers... The sacrifices in the Old Testament, they could point to a wonderful drama of life with God, of God showing his love for the people and receiving their sacrifices. But as wonderful as those were, they couldn't purify the inside, and they couldn't show how the movie ended. And the movie ends with Jesus arriving like a feature film, a film called The Messiah. But what Jesus does with this movie is he throws the director's cut with all the judgment stuff out, and he literally brings a new ending. And so what Jesus does, we hear this in this story today, Jesus came to rush into that room where God was being kept hidden. He outranks the high priest because he is the son of God. And then what he does is rush not only into that hidden room, but every place where we lock God. We lock God behind doors of failure, accusation, disappointment, trauma, and those growing fears that we aren't good enough. And and so all of those doors, Jesus rushes in. He breaks them open. And he rushes in there not with bulls or goats or any other sacrifice, but he rushes in completely empty-handed so his hands can get nailed to a tree and so that his hands can get nailed to you and to me. This high priest gives what no other priest, including the one standing in front of you, would dare to give. Himself. All of himself. In the midst of all our sacrifices, in the midst of all our attempts to make something of ourselves, in the midst of all these things we try to do to fool others, to fool God, and in the end even fool ourselves that we are not quite getting away with, 
Jesus lays himself down in all of those difficult places in our minds, in our hearts, in our souls. He lays down with his very body and says, put that stuff away. All you need anymore is me. And those doors get blown open. And just like Nicolas Cage stealing the Declaration of Independence, Jesus breaks in and he seizes the law and what the law is trying to do, that good relationship between us and between our neighbors, a relationship we couldn't secure by our own efforts. And he does just what Jeremiah said he would do. He jams it into our hearts so that we can never get rid of it. The old covenant was about power and the new covenant is about sheerly love. It starts and ends with God's love for us. And all we need to do in our lives is simply watch that love getting played out. And it gets played out because God is not locked away from us anymore. Through Jesus, God gives us courage when we walk and peace when we rest. And don't think this is a Christian idea only, by the way. I, I first got a sense of what it means in this new covenant that we live in from actually a rabbi who I did my clinical pastoral education with at the Cleveland Clinic. There was a day she had to give a reflection in our chapel service, and it was a day on the Jewish calendar called Tisha B'Av. And anyone know what that one is? Okay, someone usually does. But Tisha B'Av is the day on the Jewish calendar where you remember the destruction of the temple in Jerusalem by the Romans. She reflected on it a little bit, and she ended by saying, for me, this is not a sad day. I don't need any temple. I have my Torah, or I have God's word with me. I think that reading this passage in Hebrews, we could say, I don't need any temple. I have my Jesus. Amen.